Growing up with siblings can be a delight and a challenge. My sisters and I did our fair share of fighting as kids, but now we get along pretty well. This seems to be standard for many sibling relationships. Dane, Patrick, and Tanner Gadaskis have had plenty of opportunities to squabble. Dane and Patrick are twins, and Tanner is two years younger. All three of them are professional surfers, and they've been competing with and against each other for their entire lives. But despite the circumstances, these brothers have managed to stay super close. For years, Dane, Patrick, and Tanner have traveled together, gone head-to-head in competitions, and they've even started a family business. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Dane, Patrick, and Tanner Gadaskis have spent a lot of their lives in the water, riding some of the most epic waves. After high school, all three brothers entered the international competition circuit, touring from one surf contest to another. Since they were kids, traveling and surfing has been a huge part of the Gadaskis lifestyle. On most weekends, the whole family packed up their Volkswagen with surfboards and spent entire days at the beach. Dane, Mm. Patrick, Tanner, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. It's exciting having all three brothers on the show. We're excited to be in one place together. Will you guys each introduce yourselves? We'll start with Dane. Yep, my name is Dane Gadowskis and uh, from San Clemente, California. And I got my two brothers here too. Yeah, my name is Patrick Gadowskis. I'm 37 years old from San Clemente, California. I'm the oldest of the three Gadowskis brothers here. Dane's my twin. I'm older by three minutes. Tanner's my younger brother, uh, two and a half years younger. And I guess kind of similar to Dane, we kind of all ended up uh, in the same line of work and field of ocean enthusiasts. I'm Tanner Gadowskis, 34. I'm Pat and Dane's younger brother. I've just always kind of been tagged along as a three-pack. You guys had adventurous parents, or at least adventures compared to many of our parents. You know, my parents' idea of vacation was to go to Palm Springs. We'd stay at a hotel and there was like a tennis court, which is awesome. Super grateful for it. But you guys did different kinds of adventures with your parents. For our parents, I think, you know, our dad grew up in Los Angeles area. So he was familiar with it. Our mom came over from New Jersey and they, you know, they really loved the outdoor experience of living in Southern California. They were in San Diego for a period of time. And, you know, from our earliest memories, we were always in a, you know, Westphalia van, whether it was down on the beach at Sano or on a little like aluminum skiff, you know, thing just like out fishing, uh, spear fishing, just snorkeling, just being engaged with nature. So it was always like that from a very young age. And I remember one time vividly, we took all five of us in a small little Isuzu Trooper all the way down to the tip of Cabo. And that was that was a real hilarious experience. I can't imagine it from their point of view because it was pretty, you know, long road trip with three of us squished in the backseat there. So it must have been chaotic, but uh, we made it and it was a blast. And the only two tape cassettes they had in the car was... Uh, Graceland and U2's Joshua Tree, I think. And it was just like those two tape decks playing over and over. It was amazing. 48-hour trip. That's really fun. You know, you guys are a good example of the fact that when you raise kids to appreciate nature, they tend to really appreciate nature and all it has to offer. Thinking as a parent now, you see, like, there's so many things that, like, parents have access to, you know, like, between tablets and like life coaches of people online, you Google anything. It's like, try this, do this, do this. And you think back to like our parents when you're saying like adventurous 
parents, I think how sick it is that with just two tape decks and some snacks and, you know, we'd play like, you'd hang like little cans or bottles and make music and you'd be singing. And it's just so inspiring to think now as a parent full circle, like what that actually means. Like it's so courageous to be like, well, I'm taking my three kids and we're just going to rock to the tip of Cabo and we're going to see anything we can. And your parents sounded like they were badass. They're Absolutely. Sick, yeah, for sure. Tanner, what was it like being the youngest with these two charging brothers ahead of you? <laughs> these guys, they, they've always been really nice. I think the, the three of us, we've gotten along really well. Like I think a lot of people do they're, they trip out about it a little bit because we're always together, but that's just how it was. Like, I don't necessarily know another option. You know, like we have funny stories. Like we, we grew up in a two bedroom house. So the three of us split one room kind of until high school. So we had like bunk beds and just another bed. So it was, you know, we would get into fights and quarrels, but then you kind of just had to move through it because you were going to wake up next to the person. And we shared a car through high school. We shared a cell phone. And, and I think it's, it kind of, because that's all that there was available, we just kind of had to learn how to deal with it. And then once we started needing each other, in a sense, like outside of high school, I, I definitely remember being super thankful because the three of us are experiencing these things together. And then we could take it home and like still t- like tell those stories. It wasn't like a, like a satellite experience on the road. And that kind of switched the whole mentality because, you know, maybe in your adolescence, you you might, you know, drift further away. But by virtue of, like Pat was saying, the three of us being in surfing together and as well writing for the same brands, it was like glue. And so thank goodness we had all that time together and had those like formidable years to like get through it because then it made it a lot easier. I mean, still even now, like I, I rely on patenting almost even more than back then because like there's really no handbook to grow up there's all these different things that you learn about even things like finances it's nice to be the youngest in so many ways like even going through school like it was a little less strict from our parents on me than it was for pat and dan as well like there's all those small things and they always let me hop in the car and i don't know i just feel like my perspective is that they were twins so it felt as if i was just this singular younger brother and it almost somewhat made it easier for us to roll together it didn't it just was kind of like, I don't know, just felt built in. When Pat and Dane were teenagers, they started entering local surf competitions. There was a vibrant and pretty hardcore surfing community where they grew up in Southern California, and the twins started getting to know the landscape of competitive surfing. A few years later, the twins were performing so well in local competitions and then on the qualifying series that they were accepted to compete on the global tour with the World Surf League. At the same time, Tanner was just graduating from high school and he immediately dove into competing as well. If he qualified for the global tour, he and his brothers would get to travel the world together. But in order to qualify, Tanner had to win an intense heat. As luck would have it, he was going up against Dane and Patrick. In the surf world, that heat is pretty famous. Did you guys all compete on the tour at the same time or did one qualify first and then the next one and then the next one how did that happen in that particular event in the whole season for tanner to qualify i think i had already qualified and there's only 16 spots allocated and tanner was either 17 or 16 and it was like dane was round one tanner's round two i was round three and we had to like first second third first second third to like make it to this one heat together and it was just like the odds of it were just kind of spectacular and that was the heat tanner needed to make to actually get on tour and we had one of our other friends, Mason Ho, who's like, 
you know, just like family member, he is insane and he was in the heat too. And he's just tripping. Like, how did I end up in 12 months of competing that you guys are all in this one heat? That's the most important heat of his life. And we're all just in it together by kind of random odds. And it was fun. It's weird looking back on that too, because competing, it's, it's such a juxtaposition of competing itself because it's kind of cutthroat when you're on the road. It's definitely like take it or leave it mentality. And then the, the one heat that I legitimately needed to make Pat, Dane, and Mason were like, kind of, we were all hooting each other into these waves. It was one of the most special heats experiences I've had, and probably the one heat that I look back on through my competitive career that I'm most thankful for. Like, even through the whole process of being on tour, like, just the fact, like Dane was saying, it's the most uh, challenging contest venue that you can really find. And just because you needed to win, and you're their brother and good friend didn't mean they were just going to give it to you. <laughs> no, but I think at that level, you, you do see like, it's such a struggle and such a grind to do it. Like if they were sitting on me in that heat, like that would have, <laughs> that could have rerouted our friendship at that point. I mean, we were in it together so deeply. I, I think each one of us probably, if it had been either one of them in that situation, I would have done the exact same. I would have given them the set waves and yeah. That's really cool. Well, the ocean is so interesting because it's really a connection to like, you know, this greater energy and somehow the ocean always seems to give the rewards to those who are needing it on the day or, or, you know what I mean? Like who gets the best wave of the day on a big swell, who gets that magic wave in a heat when the odds are stacked against you is so many things out of your control as a competition surfer. Cause you're engaging with mother nature. And so I feel like that day it, came to tea yeah, came and to that whole day from the beginning of the competition was like that there was this great beautiful energy so we were just grateful to be sharing it but it was you know the ocean calls the shots do you guys have any just memorable funny moments on tour that you love to tell people we have a lot of funny moments on tour. the tour is is awesome it's a lot of fun um there was, there was amazing yeah. one that we were in we were in england and um, we were all three traveling together with a really good friend, Dylan Graves. And, you know, there was a fog delay, so the plane couldn't get off the, this tiny little runway to go to France. And so we, by the time it was like a delay, we ended up missing our flights. They can't, it was peak summer in France, so they canceled our reservation because we didn't show up because it was just high demand. So we show up first night. We all sleep on the car that we had. We pulled into a random parking lot. Like a Honda lot. Civic or something. <laughs> we were all... Four of us sleeping, like literally one was on the hood, two. It was like, it was a freak show. And then it turned out we were, we had made good friends with the people who owned the hotel and they're like, Hey, the best we can do is a closet. And so we literally, like a storage closet, four of us slept in a closet on a single bed, but it was like the four of us spent like slept perpendicular to the actual bed, like feet on the luggage bags. So you can make it work. (laughs) And we just... Dylan had this like painted Yahtzee game and we just laughed our, we laughed so hard at the ridiculousness of it all, had so much fun. And, and then we went to the next event. I mean, it, it was that kind of just comedy nonstop. And you're with your friends, you're at this time in your life where, you know, you're meeting all these new people and engaging in these new cultures. And we just freaking we had so much fun, you know, and it was that to me was like the weirdest you know, sleeping in a closet, sleeping on your car, you know, you like do all stuff. 10 days or whatever it was. Yeah. In France, it was just great. A couple of years into their World Surf League careers, Dane, one of the twins, 
decided to leave competitive surfing. Meanwhile, Pat and Tanner continued to compete around the world for over a decade. Did you guys ever have an experience where competing with each other wasn't so fun? Like you lost or... Kind of all the time. Anytime yeah. we were together, it sucked. <laughs> well, we were like, Pat, oh. So Patrick and I, like this was probably my last year of competing and Pat and I traveled together for that. You probably do about 10 to 12 events in the year. And I mm. think we probably lined up six to seven times in that year. And I lost to Pat every event. But it was funny because we would be traveling together. We'd be staying in the same place. So you, so Pat and I would literally get on these flights together, travel all the way to deep Spain. Like we're in rural, rural Spain. And then we'd be like, okay, well, there's the heat draw. We are in the same heat. And mind you, it's like 200 people. Like yeah. the odds of it are just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. And then we'd paddle out and you would just, I mean, every time was just a different way that the cookie would crumble. And then you would just come in and get in the car and then you would just go to dinner and you'd be like, Wow. Like this is the experience. It is lame, but it's actually the odds of it happening are spectacular. I don't think it ever really got more personal. It was just so strange. But it it couldn't get more personal because we work so hard. Like we're, yeah, yeah. I guess in our eyes, we feel like we're the underdogs. Like we've always kind of had to earn our place at the table. And even as kids, there's a lot of prodigal kids that came into surfing and, and good for them. That's amazing. But I feel like we always worked really hard to like be at the table and put on a performance and, and, you know, I think that it's a testament to, like, we just were going for it. We didn't have any expectations and we didn't have any knowledge pre-existing, like, oh, we should be able to make the world tour or win a world title or whatever. And so when you think about that day in and day out dedication to, like, your passion and what you want to do and what you want to achieve, we really did it together. And then to really do it together and then have the same moment where only one passes, I think that was kind of like... Yeah, it was just interesting. It was but like, that's but that's why we weren't upset with each other. We'd just be like, hey, yeah. we're trying our absolute hardest, and whoever gets through, good on you. At that point, and we've all experienced it in our own ways, that surfing con- competition is one small part of the whole surfing experience. Really, it's a sliver. It's For us, served as the entry point into like community and surfing, but really, it's just like this kind of really niche kind of thing when really the surfing experience is so universal, so so broad, so deep. You can go so far into it and not even have a clue about competition. And just because we have the level of, um, you know, I guess by being on the professional stage and, and ability-wise, it's opened us up to so many new experiences by just releasing the competition side of things. When we come back, Dane talks about his decision to pursue free surfing and how Tanner and Patrick eventually followed suit. The brothers also share the mission behind their surf business, Positive Vibe Warriors. After a couple of years on the competition circuit, Dane Gadaskis decided to make some career changes and start free surfing. Making a living as a free surfer was a relatively new thing at the time. Instead of getting sponsorships or winning prize money, surfers could support themselves by creating their own content and selling it to magazines. In this new iteration of his career, Dane still needed to be at the top of his surf game, but he wasn't at the mercy of judges or competition schedules. Dane, you went the free surfing route, like a little bit sooner than your brothers. They were still on tour and free surfing wasn't like, 
this direct path. So free surfing for you, Dane, you know, when did you decide I'm just going to go this route? And maybe you can just talk about what free surfing is for people who think I'm speaking a totally different crazy <laughs> yeah. language right now. Um, free surfing is essentially uh, non-competition surfing at a high professional level, I guess. I mean, essentially anyone who surfs is kind of a free surfer if you're not doing the competition side of things, but you can really have a career path uh, in non-competition surfing. Uh, it's not a lot of people doing it, especially back at that point in time. What year was this? About? So 2010 was the year that, or 11 or 10, what, somewhere around there. And we had a good, good group of friends who was looking after myself and just saying, hey, like, you know, they would go to these heavy waves and surf these barrels primarily. And they invited me on some trips and I began to form a relationship with riding these style of waves. And it was just cool. But you had to, you know, establish connections with photographers and magazines and learn how that infrastructure works. So basically, I mean, if you were dedicated to stay on the road and work within the infrastructure of photographers, you could have a you know, a good path forward and kind of pursuing your dreams, but just in a different asymmetric route to the competition. So it was really good growing for my surfing, riding a bunch of different boards, just connecting with different people. So I guess, you know, we've all made our transitions away from competition at certain points in time, and we've all done it in our own kind of way. But when I see people going for that transition away from competition to, to just getting into the free surfing stuff, it just kind of it gives me so much excitement because their path is unwritten and they're going to, you know, charge into their own direction, their own identity, and really just form that relationship to surfing in a whole new way that they might never known could exist. And I think to, to Dane's credit, because I, I mean, I remember when we were all doing it together on the competition and I always remember like Dane's surfing is really unique, probably to most people in the world, how they approach a wave. And, and it was like, you didn't fit in the confinement of a jersey. You know, like the, the, the jersey was like a box and you have judges and the judges, they give you scores based on these certain things, but like style's not really included in that or um, aura or presentation or like the artist, artistic side of kind of how people approach a wave. And I think watching you make that transition was like this crazy leap of faith off of like this into the unknown abyss of like, oh man, I wonder how will it be received? But then it wasn't that you were less of a surfer or more of a surfer. It was just, it was nice to see you have freedom. It wasn't like confinement in this like little space and arena of a handful of people's subjective vision of your surfing. And it's liberating to leave the box of competition. It's like being in society or things that are like expected of you. And there's all these confinements. And when you really see, I think Dane blossomed completely to who you are today, but as a surfer to leave that kind of space. And it was like really, I would say it's really courageous and also really um, inspirational for us too. And I think it was a really pivotal time for all of us in surfing to see that leap of faith and then also kind of how it transcended. I think from the, from the outside, when you're looking at surfing and maybe not understanding the idiosyncrasies of how to make it a career, like Dane being a free surfer and us being in competition, the competition route is it's interesting because it, it's it's very structured. So you you know you can train for the events. You you work on your boards. You're meeting these people. You're you're climbing a sort of a ladder. But when you step away from that and you don't have the structure yet, you're still surfing as your occupation. That's when a different kind of work ethic comes in. And I feel like it was really great for us having Dane kind of lay that path down because, like he's saying, you work with a team of people to get you into these spots. And it's not like I'm going to Europe for the summer because that's when the five events are. It's like 
hey, this is South Swell season. This opens up this, you know, these hemispheres. This, this is, this is the, these are locations I'm keying into. And that freedom of, of your own journey is so, like Pat's saying, is so liberating. And also challenging, right? Because how do you create your own steps up the ladder without a ladder to climb? Dane, Patrick, and Tanner have each found their way as professionals outside the competition space. They have partnerships with brands like Hydro Flask, Channel Island Surfboards, Vans, and more. On top of that, the brothers started their own business called Positive Vibe Warriors. The project started as a donation service to make surfboards accessible to communities all over Africa, Trinidad and Tobago, and Jamaica. But over the years, Positive Vibe Warriors has morphed into a mission-based business that makes and sells softboards, which are surfboards that are extremely durable, lightweight, and they're great for beginners. So how did, how did you guys come up with the Positive Vibe Warriors, and what is it? Essentially, it was just kind of like in those moments on the road and trying to just like keep each other uplifted and, and be there for each other and, you know, got to have a positive spirit vibe, something you can share and warrior, they overcome that kind of adversity. And so, you know, we just kind of just started saying it kind of, it's just like a little bit of a fun saying to kind of like, Hey, like, come on, we're all in this together and let's go lift up and elevate each other. And, um, it just started to stick and, you know, we made a couple of fun t-shirts just for friends on the road. And it was just something to bring people together um, it turned into a foundation as our kind of uh, experiences in the world continued to grow. We went to Jamaica probably in 2012 or 14. Uh, we, it was just a beautiful surf culture. And we went down there and it's just outside of Kingston. And, you know, there are some great waves and there was these kids there that were just absolutely ripping. Um, there was just these amazing waves and, you know, they're surfing these boards that have been put together like six or seven times. So there were boards that had been broken yeah. six or seven times and repaired. Yeah. And, and maybe even like put together with other boards, whatever they had access wow. to. Right. If you got the passion, but you don't have, there's no surf shops, there's no industry there. So we came back from that trip feeling like, wow, those guys showed us their whole culture that they really welcomed us in and shared with us such a beautiful place and, and just their stoked for surfing. And so we just wanted to say, you know, thank you. I wish we could have left all our boards. We're like, wow, that these guys are surfing at the same level, pushing the same moves that we're pushing. So it's a bummer because the tariff taxes that come through Kingston weren't allowing any surf goods to cross into the port. And we found a loophole by creating the foundation and using foundation to their foundation of Jamaica Surf Association. We could push boards through. And so then we started up the surfboard drive and use social media. It was like a three week process. And it was funny because we went to the surf store. We just basically made posters, put them up at the surf store and then did in, put it on our Instagram. And the first week we got like maybe like 10 boards and we're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. We got 10 boards. We're killing it. And think about that's people just to break it for a second. That's people's actual board that they paid for. They might've surfed it, had a great life with it. And then they decided through this kind of notification, like I'm going to give my equipment away so these guys can have opportunity to serve. So then the second week it doubled and we we're like, Oh, well there's 25 boards. Like this is a bit more than we can carry on board bags. So now like we're starting to look at it a little differently and still we didn't really realize by the, by the last week we had up to 300 and like 20 boards. So then we were in this new world of like, okay, we had this idea. It's gone <laughs> quite large so we had to learn about shipping and actually like and packing uh, 
like a storage container that would then go from Long Beach to Jamaica. And then we met up with the boards when they crossed through the port. Yeah, it was just really meaningful to, like Patrick mentioned, see all these people who came out to donate their own boards that they purchased and had these experiences on and give it to someone else who needs it. Because these kids, you know, it's just, you want to see the best, you know, for them and like make sure they have the same opportunities to get the equipment. And um, so, yeah, it was beautiful. And then we went from Jamaica and we were pretty inspired. We worked with um, the Cruise Waves for Change and Service Not Street Children in um, Cape Town. So we did a second board drive down there. So it started as like a board drive where you literally went to places where people could surf and they had good waves, but they didn't necessarily have access to equipment. You found this foundation, got all these people stoked to give you their boards, which is beautiful because now other people could participate in it. What, that was 2012. I mean, what is Positive Vibe Warriors today? The foundation just served as like this vehicle for us to, to give back, you know, and, and through those experiences, we came to realize that the most meaningful thing you can contribute to a community in terms of equipment, especially when people are trying to learn how to surf, is, you know, it's got to be safe and it's got to last a long time. Um, so, you know, at this point in our careers, we really wanted to make that leap and being able to build something that was a bit more of a sustainable minded approach and it was safe and meaningful and people could come together around the ocean and have that shared experience. Um, so right now we're currently making softboards, um, all made in the USA. They're extremely durable. They're made from a closed cell foam. And, you know, we still do work in communities. Like right now we just sent down 40 softboards. In Cape Town, we do make a lot of boards for Junior Guard programs they use in their programs because they're so durable. Um, and then we also give back through scholarships and stuff. But it is a, a business which has been really fun for us to learn kind of together. Again, jumping into business together um, and learning that side of things. It's just been a great experience. It's been crazy. been a lot of learning. But we feel really proud about what we're building. And uh, it's an exciting new chapter. Positive Vibe Warriors started as a nonprofit to get surf equipment to under-resourced communities around the world. They also work closely with youth water safety and junior lifeguard programs. If you want to learn more about Positive Vibe Warriors, check out their website, PositiveVibeWarriors.com. You can also follow them on Instagram, at Positive Vibe Warriors. To see what Dane, Patrick, and Tanner are up to, check them out on Instagram. We'll link to their profiles in the show notes. I got to interview the Gadaskis brothers in person at the Revel Shine wine event in Laguna Beach. Huge shout out to Revel Shine for the invitation and for connecting us to these badass athletes. Also, your wine is pretty amazing. A special thank you to SCP Hotels for providing incredible accommodations for our team. Also, just a pro tip, I tried the G-Skate, which is a Gadaskis Bros model surfboard manufactured by Channel Island Surfboards. They modeled it after a skateboard, and it's probably the most fun board I've ridden in a really long time. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Piers-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, rate it, take the time to write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen 
when you follow your wildest ideas. Hey everyone, I'm excited to share that Hello Nature, another podcast from REI Co-op Studios, is back for season two. In season one, host Misha Youssef traveled across the country to share the unknown stories of America's national parks. In season two, Misha is back on the road, and this time she's exploring the nature that's right out our front doors. She's visiting cities across the country, from LA to Atlanta and Portland to New York City, hitting the trails, camping out at local preserves, and running alongside local change makers to answer these questions. What makes these cities unique? Who is doing the work to redefine how we get outside? And how can we get involved? If you're looking for a podcast to inspire you to chase adventure in your own backyard, this is it. Make sure you tune in to Hello Nature Season 2 wherever you listen to podcasts.